with a kind of negative moment. But uh, I, I, what I'm going to eventually come around and say, and I want you to know this is coming, is that I think that we can do apologetics and take up apologetics as a key part of our Christian witness. But the language I'm using here is Christian witness, and I'm going to place it in a different role. So I want to do the negative moment and kind of set where apologetics has traditionally been And then we can get to talking about how we might uh, revolutionize or or redo the whole thing. The place I, when I uh, first taught this, somebody handed me a book. And the book was, uh, it began with the uh, statement, Does God exist? This is the most important question a person can ask. And to, uh, I thought that's precisely the wrong question to ask, the wrong place to begin. And if this is the place that we're beginning our apologetics, no, it, we've already begun wrong. Is the question, does God exist? You know, is there a problem with the question? As making that our prime question and then imagining that answering that question is of prime importance. Just what, what, how would you respond to that? We'd be establishing God's ontology based on our own epistemology. Yeah, first of all, it's imagining, okay, we're going to argue that we're going to say that God exists, and then we're going to present convincing arguments to prove that he exists. And now that we've proven that he exists, uh, on that basis you can believe in Christianity. This is uh, apologetics, in this mode of apologetics, has played a key role in theology and in shaping the way that we do theology. So I don't know if you've looked at... uh, you know, like Jack Cottrell's book, or any, actually, he, he, he follows, and I, I'm never just picking on him, he's just following a, a method, he's not striking out on his own. And the method he's following is that when you write a book of theology, the place you begin is with the question, does God exist, do we have good arguments to prove that he exists? And then you do the arguments showing that God exists, you show, you know, you could do the you you, know, you all know the arguments the ontological argument you know the argument that Anselm Canterbury gives us uh, the teleological cosmological that come out of Aquinas but actually they're already there I mean it's not that Aquinas originates these even Anselm is doing a cosmological argument and so they go through all the arguments and say okay now that we know that God exists. Now we can turn and begin doing theology. Welcome, welcome. Glad you're here. Um, and there, there's several problems with this. First of all, what happens, you know, we discussed, we did this in philosophy, you heard me do this, that uh, what happens, you, you have 
uh, proofs for God that, first of all, may be the wrong God, the God of the philosophers and you know the unmoved mover. And the other thing is that your very the very methodology that you've established in proving God is going to in turn then be the methodology, rational kind of foundationalism. Uh, the the uh, methodology becomes a theological methodology, and so uh, the the you know how do we how can we ask and answer the question how do we know God do we know God or know of God through these arguments or do we know of God uh, you know through the, the revelation that's been given to us in Christ. And not that these two things necessarily need to stand opposed to one another, but what I'm suggesting is that the way that apologetics is traditionally done is that they've come to, uh, in fact, be two uh, systems. And so that in, you know, Francis Bacon's point of view, there's two books. There's the Bible, there's special revelation, and then there's the revelation in nature. And as long as you're doing these traditional arguments, you're doing the, the revelation by nature, you're using reason. Uh, and the book of nature, reason, came to dominate the special revelation. And it became the controlling factor in reading scripture. That's that's not new, right? No. Everybody's there. The the question if we had an argument, a knock down, drag out argument, demonstrate demonstrating the truth of Christ, what Christians believe. That is an irrefutable argument. And you understand that's what Anselm is claiming about the ontological argument. He's saying that you can't refute this argument. This argument is an absolute necessary argument. What's wrong with the very notion that you can have an absolute proof, an absolute knowledge of God uh, based upon this sort of argumentation? What this maybe go to the idea of idolatry that it's taking something that is imminent and making it into something that is distant. Uh, in fact, that's exactly what uh, both Soren Kierkegaard and Karl Barth are going to say. You're, you're in a line of great thinkers here. That they're both going to say, this is idolatry. Uh, and, you know, the idea is I can pull this argument out of my pocket like a little icon, a little idol, and say, look, here's God. I've got him in my pocket. Um, in this argument, I've encapsulated him. And, of course, the way we come to God is not through an absolute, you know, encounter with God. We come to God on the basis of faith in, uh, you know, that... Uh, that we have the problem of sin, that sin. And so the question is, if in a traditional apologetic, in fact, we're on the wrong side of the fence here, that we're using a system that is idolatrous uh, to, in some way, confirm Christianity, and we end up worshiping an idol rather than 
uh, you know, the God of the Bible. And of course, that's the the point is that in in a you know the unmoved mover doesn't seem to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom they know through his redemptive activity in delivering them from Egypt, you know, taking them across the Jordan. They know him through his historical redemptive presence. So, to confirm what you said, Sharon, Karl Barth says, a proved God is world, and a God of the world is an idol. Chris? Oh, I thought you were motion at me. Stop, stop. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and Bart is interesting here. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go all the way with Carl Bart, but we have to listen to Carl Bart at this point, uh, and at least understand he's out there and why historically, what is the situation of Carl Bart that we need to take into account in doing a class or a discussion of apologetics. Nope, nobody knows? Oh, oh. You know, you've heard of Nazi Germany, Adolf Hitler, and Bart. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. He's in the midst of all that. And he is the primary author of the Barman Declaration. And in here in a minute, I'm going to quote from the Barman Declaration. The Barman Declaration is the founding document of what is called the Confessing Church. And so in Germany, you have the approved state church, you know, you have the official Lutheran church, you have the Catholic church. And this was all Nazified. These people all sold out. And of course, you understand this is the vast majority of Christians. So the the thing that faces the church in Nazi Germany is, uh, you know, what happened to the church? I mean, eventually, I mean, most of them are just, just signing up to become, you know, good Nazis. And of course, Hitler could not have reigned. He could not have risen uh, in, in Germany apart from the support of Christians, because they're all Lutherans and and Catholics for the most part. Um, And so that's the situation. The confessing church is saying, we're not going to follow Hitler. We're going to depart from, and by this time, you know, Hitler is, he's literally appointing, he's appointed the head of the state church. It's just an evil guy. I mean, just out and out evil. A good Christian, but evil. And that's, you know, that's the problem. We've got an evil Christianity. And so Bart and many, not just Karl Bart, but, but Bart became kind of the, the key thinker in this, even though he, would, he himself is not German. He's Swiss, and so he's going to have to leave. But what he mainly outlines in the Barman Declaration is our topic, apologetics, philosophy of religion. He's going to say that the door to the church was left open by the turn to a kind of enlightenment reason that you get in philosophy of religion or in, in this. And so he's going to, you know, if you go back and 
not that again, not that he got everything right, but we he certainly understood the historical situation. He's going to accuse Thomas Aquinas. Uh, who is the one who first gives us a full-blown uh, philosophical argument, so, you know, the cosmological and teleological. Aquinas didn't like the ontological, but Aquinas is five ways mm-hmm. based upon an, the analogia entus. Have you heard that phrase, the analogy of being? And so Bard is going to say that's the Antichrist. Uh, and that's the discussion, you know, is did he get it right or not right? But what, whatever you think about it, uh, at least he's gotten the modern situation right. Can you just very fast say what the analogia entus is? It, it is, in Bart's estimation, that the idea that we can argue from the being of the world, you know, cosmology... Per, you know, from the world, and we can arrive at the being of God. But, like, what is the original thing that's said? That being is analogous, that the being of the world is analogous, you know, that being is something that is shared both by God and by humans, and therefore, on the basis of this being, we can argue from little b being, our being, or little w, our word, to big B, God's being, or the being of the word. So that human words and human being is a, an avenue or a means to arriving at deity. Which is Gnosticism. It's not what? It's Gnosticism. Yeah, it, uh, that, that it is, that, uh, that uh, I, I, in, to my mind it is the idea that you can get there by some other means than Christ. Yeah. Now, the the argument, and we don't need to do that here, we don't need to critique Bart and line him up with Aquinas uh, and, you know, determine, because that's the modern discussion in Catholicism, you know, that the Nouvelle theology, and they're saying, there's been a shift in the Catholic understanding and reading Aquinas, I don't, I, whether whether that's right or wrong or whatever you think about that, we still got to go with Karl Barth's critique of the modern situation. Christianity became evil. I mean that that's just the fact, right? And not and and you know it, it, when it gets close to home and we point at people locally and say there's an evil Christian, uh, then people get offended. But if you do that in you know, you say, well, in Germany during this time, there were evil Christians. Yeah, everybody pretty much agrees that went bad. So he was specifically talk, relating Aquinas with what the Christianity yes. in Germany. Yes. Okay. So, uh, you know, he was saying that it's the fault of uh, scholasticism. And scholasticism is the fusing of Greek and Christian mm-hmm. thought. And and in this, you know, as we go along, we can sort this out in care, more careful detail. Is it the fault of scholasticism? Is it the fault of modernity? What you know, who's at fault? But the point is, things ain't right. Mm-hmm. And in as much in this country, see, that's the irony of being in a in a in the United States at this point in time. 
Because it's almost, you can do a whole class in apologetics in philosophy of religion, and nobody ever bring, brings up this history. So we just keep on churning this stuff out. Mm-hmm. And nobody ever says, well, wait a minute, didn't this whole thing lead to uh, the most radical evil? I mean, if you think of the Holocaust, I don't know in the history of the world that things get any worse than the Holocaust. That's pretty much the pinnacle of evil. And if the Holocaust in any way is given you know, impetus by bad theology, shouldn't we you know, say, wait a minute, is there, is there a potential danger here? So at a minimum, let's be aware of what's happened in the past century that things went bad. Uh, and they went bad not just because the world turned against religion. Germany wasn't, you know, the fascists weren't, you know, anti-religious. I mean, that Hitler probably was personally, but even Hitler, you know, embraced some sort of divine providence in his own actions. Um... So, I would go with Bart in blaming uh, this topic. Now, I think it's a little more nuanced, a little more complicated than he made it. Uh, And the problem, uh, though, is still with us. In other words, we're still, especially in this country. Because nobody ever talks about, you know, I assume you're in an apologetics class, I I think I can be fairly confident that Nazi Germany is not going to be a point of conversation. Was it? And probably, you know, the failure of modernity is not a discussion. Well, that would require modernity. Yeah, what's wrong with modernity? I don't know if you recall, but in in the book... I, I think I mentioned this to you that in the in the book that we read, the first book in the introduction, the the author says that postmodernity is a lie, and we live in modernity. And we have to we have to operate in modernity, and that's pretty much all there is. And William Lane Craig. Yeah. 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 And William Lane Craig, if you're, he's a good modernist. He's great. He's a solid modernist. Mm-hmm. He's an apologist, yeah. Yeah, at the school used to, right? mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and quite and, and quite brilliant, you know, no question. Yeah, sure. yeah, and, and not in other words, even in saying this, I, you know, I it's not that I just oh reject everything he says, but he is right in placing himself and his project in modernity. Uh, well, you don't have to think very long and hard. What what has happened in the modern period is the church in Europe alive and well pretty much dead isn't it and so Friedrich Nietzsche's announcement of the death of God is something of a prophecy in regard to Europe because God did die for most people and he died precisely because of this topic Uh, because people were basing their belief in God on rational proofs that failed 
In other words, you can do these proofs, and if you believe in God on that basis, uh, what happens when the proofs don't work for you? What happens when you see a flaw in the logic? And that's what's happened everywhere. It's, I, I don't mean to state it. I'm, I'm, I know it's alive and well in some places, but I don't. I don't think anywhere more in health in an unhealthy way than it is in the United States. That we we kind of operate in a historical vacuum here. That we do things. You know, we're still living. Even the 1950s is too too because because people should have even in the 1950s recognized. Hey, something went wrong. Um, so, you know, the whole issue between modernity and post-modernity. Uh, to defend modernity, uh, you are defending, uh, you know, the whole foundational kind of Cartesian understanding. And I assume William Lane Craig does that openly. So, let me give you a quote. This is from Stanley Howes. Natural theology divorced from a full doctrine of God cannot help but distort the character of God and accordingly of the world in which we find ourselves. His point is, as Christians, what God do we believe in? Well, we believe in the God of the Bible that is given to us in his fullness in Christ. And you, uh, to... Imagine that you can do a natural theology and arrive at Christ is already to, in some way, delimit the God of the Bible. Howis goes on to say, Christians betray themselves as well as their non-Christian brothers and sisters when in the interest of apologetics, we say and act as if the cross of Christ is incidental to God's being. In fact, the God we worship and the world God created cannot be truthfully known without the cross, which is why the knowledge of God and ecclesiology, or the politics called church, are interdependent. Can you know God apart from Christ? In, a, in, in these arguments, as understood in modernity, the answer is yes. And I would say no. And the reason I would say no is, first of all, because of human sin. You know, that I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't believe in any kind of total depravity. But unfortunately, what we've done with God is shape him like an idol. And I'm afraid the God of the philosophers that we get in apologetics is that idol. If we separate, like, if we attempt to arrive at God apart from Jesus and apart from Yahweh and apart from the Holy Spirit, then we no longer have God, because God is one. It's not we have three separate gods. Well, what, you know, what an apologist uh, arguing with this would be, it would be to say, no, you arrive at the same place. It's just that you've come by a different means. Can you even do that? They would say yes. But, but then Jesus that God died. 
I think he died for all practical purposes. But they don't acknowledge this. William Lane Craig is still defending the God of the philosophers. Mm, uh, I was just thinking about the Gospel of John, like in the in the first chapter where it talks about, um, like there's that, that one sentence, is it verse 14 or something? It's at the end of like the third paragraph or something where it says like how basically Christ like exegetes yeah 118 um but like we learn that we know the we know the transcendent through through the imminent and to go any other way about it wouldn't that kind of be against scripture in a way yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you understand that's you're you're reflecting my understanding of yeah of that that's not a common understanding gotcha I'm uh you know uh, I, I hope you, I, I hope you never lose the sense of how strange I am. <laughs> but you're also not alone, right? I mean, no, no, what, no, I'm not alone. How are us the same? Yes, yes. There's yeah, and I don't I don't mean to make myself yeah. absolutely right. strange. Yeah. But in the company that we all keep, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm a, a strange, a, so strange as to be an outcast. Right. You're also strange. Because we're in America, right? I think that's I think that's definitely part of it. Yes. So I'm wondering, in Europe, because it's like post-Christian, and basically everyone's on the understanding that this modern God died. Is the gospel? I mean, do you kind of have a you one step ahead in a way? You don't have to undo things, but you could start, even though. Even though still, no matter what you say about Jesus or God, they're like they're not open to that. Yeah, they're they're, they're atheists for the most part. Yeah, atheism is the predominant belief system. Right. In Europe, so like the hardest thing would be to convince them that you're talking about something different than what they've already known. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But and which is also a challenge here, but it's just the opposite side the, of the. We have not passed through atheism here. Right. And what I would say, you know, who's in the better position? The atheists of Europe or the perverse Christians of the United States? Mm-hmm. Maybe I shouldn't say this. but And that's what, yeah, that's what you're past through atheism. I think the passage through atheism, it can be a very healthy thing. We need to get rid of a conception of God. That That's what the, you know, that's what the, somebody like Slavoj Zizek can, He's an atheist in the same way that I would want to be an atheist. Well, not completely, <laughs> because he's this just an atheist. He, there is no God for him. But the God that he doesn't believe in is also the God I don't believe in. Yeah. But it is, it's kind of scary, right? A lot of people are scared to go down that. Because sometimes you camp out there a little too long, and it's... Really That's a good point. Yeah, that that some well, actually, some people get discouraging, discouraged, but some people enjoy. Right. The this is kind of the uh, there's the, this is kind of the pop. You know, there's a guy on the west coast that is reading Zizek and you know saying we need to dwell in the abyss of doubt and you know like he's doing something new. But again, I think he's misunderstood. Zizek, and he's just falling back into modernity. That is, just to, to dwell in atheism 
as the, you know, it is in, in a sense just more modernity. But in in the sense that that modern Europe has passed, it is in the midst of Nietzsche's atheism. You know, this is what Nietzsche is already predicting. This he's, he's saying that when he's talking, pronouncing the death of God, the God that he's thinking of is precisely this God that you know he's raised a good Lutheran. Well, I guess it wasn't that good, but um, so the God he's rejecting and that he will that he's predicting will be rejected is and that's precisely what happens. So he is a kind of genius. Uh, a crazy genius, maybe. Uh, and so we in this in this country we we have a kind of naive. We still ha- uh, I don't think culturally it's so much in your generation. You know that that you can distinguish between a a postmodernism in the sense of a cultural postmodernism. You know, many people would point at the culture and say, well, it's postmodern. And then they'd distinguish that from an intellectual postmodernism. And probably we need to do that. But I, I think that uh, the two coincide in that the cultural failure of modernity is very much attached to what has happened in theology, in academics. It's, it is all interconnected at, at some point. So to do, deny and just say, oh, we li- we still live in modernity. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that means at some level. Other than I don't want to live in the reality that is yeah. <laughs> unfolding right here now. Um, the thing that he was saying was that, uh, like, some people may claim that they be, that they're living in, in post-modernity or that they're post-moderns, but... Uh, it's just false because you can't just shed off logic and like and he was talking about how how that works you know and so he was saying actually we're still in modernity even though some people are disillusioned into thinking they're postmodern but but if they're saying they're postmodern shouldn't we just try and operate in that system you know what i'm saying yeah and what again he's he's making the argument of a good modernist yeah there's one reason and there's one logic and all people who are reasonable and logical share in this reason and this logic. Somebody who says they're postmodern are unreasonable and illogical. And so there, there is a closeness to someone. You know, it's an impenetrable mm-hmm. stance. Uh, that the modern always takes. You can't really have a conversation. You, with these people, because they don't—they don't understand. I mean, this is—you know—it's just they don't know where you're coming from. They don't—they can't even comprehend what you're talking about. Mm. And my point is that the—and not just my point. This is the whole point in post-modernity. Yeah. Is that modernity is constituted as a particular kind of reason, mm-hmm. but with a particular kind of foundation and a particular kind of logic. Who should believe that more than a Christian? Of course we believe that the, this world has its system of reason and its system of logic. Mm. But does that cohere? Is that the same foundation as the foundation that's Christ? And William Lane Craig would say yes. 
The foundation that is Christ is the foundation that is a modernity, uh, that is the foundation that is reason. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to penetrate that other than, you know, it it is a paradigm shift. It is a, um, it is a, a way of seeing the world that uh, it, it involves a kind of a gestalt shift. You know, this is whole. This is Wittgenstein's whole thing. Wittgen, this is why Ludwig Wittgenstein is very important. He is he is very much of this modernist rationalist framework and that's his the, the Tractatus and he said okay I did that now I'm done with philosophy and then he you know you know the story he, he, he has a crisis and he says whoops that's all wrong and so he's an interesting you know he's not out of the the uh, tradition that you get in France and uh, you know even in Germany uh, with the, the uh, people like you know Jacques Derrida or Martin Heidegger that are behind the postmodern shift, you know continental, but it's the same thing. They're recognizing the same thing, and so it, it's strange that theology. This is why. This is why that you know I get accused. Oh, oh, Axton, you like doing that philosophy stuff. No, precisely the opposite. Uh, I like doing Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I think Christianity stands over and against modernity and even post-modernity. In other words, I'm not claiming to be post-modern. Right. I'm just saying I'm a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you're not stamped with the spirit of the age. What is the spirit of the age? Oh, it's called modernity. And even post-modernity, you know, people say, well, it's not really anything different. No, other than even late modernity, it, there, there's not a huge difference between late modernity and post-modernity in that at the end, you know, even with Immanuel Kant, what is Immanuel Kant saying about the Enlightenment? It, it is already the breakdown. In other words, uh, Kantian rationalism is a kind of failed rationalism. That's the point of everything that's happening philosophically. That you need to be aware. No, this thing crashed and burned. And by not, by being naive and saying, "Oh, I don't do that thinking stuff. I'm just, you know, I read my Bible. Uh, I don't do theology." Well, yeah, but you got to be aware. No, that that whole thing crashed and burned. It, it, that God died for that in that system. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because it returns us back to the God of the Bible, and so, so this is what this is what you're up against. So, in other words, um, not well, not in other words, but with one of your points, uh, like we go. The reason we go back to the philosophers is so we can learn precisely where we went wrong and, and figure out. That's that's my understanding, and I don't, I don't, as you know, I don't make it a purely negative exercise, right? I, uh, but but you do have to recognize that what's taking place, it's not that philosophers ne- necessarily exercise this huge influence, mm-hmm. but ph- what philosophers do is they articulate a way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And usually it's just the way of thinking of everybody around them. But most people can't articulate what they think. 
philosophy does that gives us an articulation of people's thought. Uh, and so it's not a shocking thing to say that what, what is articulated philosophically is, is stands uh, over and against what is given to us in Christ. And that makes a neat way of saying, here's the kingdom of darkness, here's the logic of this system, and it is a logic, it does have its reason, and here's the kingdom of Christ, and here's the, the reason of this system and the logic. And they're not, they're different. It's just like what you do with Calvinism. If you look at Calvinism raw, it makes perfect sense. It is a wonderful system and it really doesn't have very many holes until you read the Bible and you see, oh wow, this system is really flawed. But it's the same thing with the philosophers. We're just looking at the system and the systems do make sense. They do work. Yeah, they're, they're perfectly. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're a neat package. And it all, you know, that's what William Lane Craig is saying. You people are stupid. You can't see what I'm saying. Everybody knows this is the case. Mm-hmm. And he's probably the bright one of the group. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is the. I mean, I mean, he is the uh, one of the premier apologists. So you may not get any better than William Lane Craig. But what he he is, you know, uh, incapable of seeing is that. Uh, is his own situatedness, his own, the framework within which he's working. And that's always hard for, for us. That's hard for all of us. That's why we read the Bible. And that's why we read the Bible in community, is we need to in some way break out of the worldview that has encaptured, you know, captured us and enter in, as Karl Barth has said, to the strange new world of the Bible. For Bart, it took the the trauma of seeing his own professors, you know, line up, you know, all of his professors line up with in a theological liberalism uh, in World War One. Who was it? William Kaiser, Wilhelm, uh, and uh, he saw that was evil. By the time World War Two comes along, Bart's ready. Because he already saw the failure of theological liberalism, which, by the way, theological liberalism flows out of this. You know, I don't know if that's clear to you, but foundationalism is the foundation of both fundamentalism, conservatism, and theological liberalism. That's why Lit William Lane Craig is particularly interesting. How is he going to prove to you that the God of the Bible is real? He's going to use rational proofs and powerful rational proofs. You know, he's going to give us these the Kalam cosmological argument, and you know, it's a good argument. I'm not I'm not denying the truth or the power of the argument. I'm just saying it, it, it uh, to imagine that that delivers to you uh, the fullness of who God is, and he he's, it's not that he's saying it in that way. It's just that he imagines that the pathway is that the, this is the way you get to God is through modernity. No, the way that that, that is not the way to God. That's the way to that's the way to atheism. So this, you know, you can do this. The history here is important because what you get in a in modernity, you know, you, you come to somebody like Descartes who says you have faith here and you have reason here. 
Then you have Newton, who does uh, an entire scientific method that is, a, in, in a philosophical sense, it's within a Cartesian framework, a closed system. That is, that God, you don't need God in this system. Then you get deism. God's removed from the system. Deism leads to atheism. It's not, there's no great mystery. That's what happened. But why it happened is what these guys are missing. It's happening because of the very principalities and powers that they're promoting. Um, there's a guy at, uh, that went to, you probably heard me talk about Lincoln Christian University, I John Loftus, I think is his name, that he, he went to Lincoln and, you know, he learned all the good apologetic methods and, and, you know, and then I think he had an affair with his secretary or something, he's a preacher, and, and now he's writing books talking about how he's an atheist. Because for him, these arguments failed. And of course, the, the point is, well, if the God that he believed in was a product of these arguments, that may account for, I, I, I mentioned his moral failure, because I think the two are never, uh, you know, disconnected. So that, that what we're in danger of here is a profound moral failure. And that's what Bart sees. That if you're going to go this route, uh, the, the, the world, that it, the way in which it constitutes itself, is going to give rise to the worst kind of evil. So that you have, you know, this is the thing that, uh, I can't remember the chaplain's name, who at the, he was an American army chaplain who was assigned to the Nazi war, war crime criminals and in Germany. Uh, he was their chaplain, and they were good Christians. He didn't know what to do with these guys because they had just been involved in genocide and were claiming to be good Lutherans. There, sh there, should, be, there should be a problem there somewhere. But once you, and you're right, Sharon, to make the Gnostic disconnect. Heaven and earth are removed from one another. You know, the spiritual realm is an interior, transcendent realm, and the material, political, physical realm is another realm, and never the twain shall meet. That is theological Gnosticism. Well, this is also where we can talk about faith and how with a modernist, a modernist system, yes, you have faith, but your faith is a mental ascent, and they, that's it. And so your mental ascent does not affect your real life salvation. Salvation is not a word. It's You don't have the faith of Jesus. You don't have the faith of Abraham because it's not necessary. You're, what you're saying aligns with what I've, I've got a quote here from Bart. You're again following the great mind here. Uh, Bart came to see what mattered were not human thoughts about God, but rather divine thoughts about humanity. Such thoughts form the content of Scripture. 
It is not the right human thoughts about God which form the content of the Bible, mm -hmm. but the right divine thoughts about men. That's what you're getting in a William Lane Craig. The Bible accords with the thinking of men. I'm afraid. I, I, you know, if I say it like that, I'm sure he would object. But I think in reality, that's what he's saying. That it fits an already existing framework. What the Bible seems to be doing is to say, your framework of thinking is evil and sinful, and thus Christ has come to give us an alternative framework, an alternative word. That's the radical breaking in of revelation that we have in Christ. And the danger is that if you don't see that he's broken into your system, if you can't see how your own system has fallen apart, that you're still subject to the principalities and powers. In other words, I think a part of it, this is the transformation of the mind that Paul's talking about. This is hard work. You've got to think about this stuff. That you've got to be able to identify the devil or you'll serve him. Right? And the devil's right there. You know, it's not hard to identify the devil. Well, it is, I guess. It is. Because he comes as an angel of light. And he's among us. He claims to be one of us. He's a good Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, but look at the way he walks. You know, this is the three tests of John. I think the three tests always work. Look at what he says about Christ. Is it a Gnostic Christ? A split between heaven and earth? Uh, and look at the way he treats other people. Does he love the brothers? Or is he, in fact, hateful and mean? Those are the three signs, and, and John uses the strongest language. A hateful, mean guy who believes in a separation between heaven and earth and a division within the humanity and deity of Christ, John says that's the, 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 the Antichrist. I don't, I don't, I'm just saying what's there, right? I'm just saying what's there. But I think that's the impetus behind the whole New Testament. Our da the danger we face is not, oh, them foreigners. Our danger is the people that are here among us. That's, that was John. John saying, they're here. They're, they're right here. You guys need to recognize this and separate. You know, this is not Christianity. You know Christ. They're claiming that they know the truth. They don't know the truth. So I think, I think we need to set the, the New Testament in this. It, it is doing a very, it's giving us a, 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 a thin pillar of light, you know, in the darkness. But John is also saying, yes, but the darkness is passing. But we got to, we got, it's our, our, I don't mean to end on a negative note, but we've about come to an end. But let me, uh, this is, uh, let me do a bit with the... Uh, Bart says, I can only see the plain destruction of Protestant theology in the Protestant church. I can therefore only say no here. I regard the Antis as the invention of the Antichrist and think that because of it, one cannot become Catholic. And of course, it's not just Catholicism. 
that has bought into Thomism and the you know that this is Protestantism. This is apologetics. It is all built upon on this. Um, Bart says, natural theology is guilty, guilty of definite error, not only in regard to the subject, God, as he is known in Revelation, but also in regard to man, in regard to the world, in regard to unbelief. Unbelief, just because it is unbelief towards God, is far too strongly and far too inwardly orientated to the truth, and even if only negatively interested in it for us to be able to convince it of its wrongness and confront it with the truth, with a skillful handling of what is, after all, however, preliminary and pedagogic in intention. What he's saying here, how do you get to the truth? In a Cartesian system, through systemic doubt. How do you get to belief? Through unbelief. Listen to that. Listen to what I'm saying. Do you see how, you understand how perverse that is? Let me put it in... Kierkegaardian terms. How do you get to, you know, peace? Kierkegaard said, the problem is not doubt. The problem is rebellion. A moral rebellion. And so Paul says that the law, you know, is that you, you do not do what is evil to attain what is good. It's almost like saying, oh, rebellion, doubt, unbelief, that's good, because that's the way to getting to belief. And no, that's, that's complete perverseness. So that's modernity. Modernity is founded upon systemic doubt. This is Descartes. He says, you know, I, I doubt is where he begins the cogito, the, the, the meditations. I doubt that I exist. I, you know, I can doubt that God exists. I doubt that I can doubt everything. So he's using doubt to arrive at belief. The one thing I can't doubt is that I'm thinking. If I'm thinking, I exist. If I exist, I am. I think, therefore, I am. And then he works his way to God. So he's used doubt to get to belief. That's what William Lane Craig is doing. There is an encouragement of a particular kind of doubt as a foundational kind of doubt. And that's what Bart is reacting against here. Belief is not founded on doubt. You know, peace with God is not founded upon rebellion. Evil is not the basis of good. For Bart, the denial of natural theology, as well as the discovery of the Christological center in theology, were of a piece with his opposition to Hitler. His refusal to take the oath of loyalty to Hitler, which meant the loss of his position at Bonn, was inevitable. This is how it was, given his theological development. How do you oppose Adolf Hitler? You oppose, his, the, you oppose a theological system built upon apologetics. That's why this topic is important. Because it turned out to be evil. Pure evil. Um, I'm still kind of stuck on it. So how does uh, systemic doubt play into what? Like into modern apologetics. Like what? how does that... Uh, like maybe, maybe just using 
uh, an example or something from modern, modern apologetics. So, so you, you turn to what cannot be doubted. Right. And what it, Descartes is presuming cannot be doubted is his own thinking. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the content of his thought, but just the fact of his thinking. Uh-huh. And his own existence. So he's using, he's imagining that, that systemic doubt puts us in a place of absolute certainty. So mathematics is one of the things he'll embrace as something that we can be absolutely certain about. Science, he's going to ground in the same kind of certainty. Uh, and you know, ultimately, a philosophical understanding. And on the other hand, he's going to say, well, then there is the kind of thing that the church does, and that has nothing to do with this. That is, faith, you know, we need to know about the love of God and the soul. Of, well, actually, even the soul, he's saying, is in the area of reason. Even God, you know, God is on the side of reason. So, the, he's saying we need to use systemic doubt to rid ourselves of the foundations. So he's looking outside his window in Paris. Let's tear down all these buildings. Let's start over. Where do we start? We start in our head. I think, therefore I am. Now what I would say to Rene Descartes is you you stop doubting too quick. I think. Who's I? And this is what Kant comes along and says, wait a minute, we thought we had solved this thing, but there's the thinking thing, this empty object that thinks, and the the, the thought, and the two things don't go together. And so what Immanuel Kant says to Descartes is, the foundation is broken, it's cracked. Now, Kant wanted to rescue the foundation, He's he's not a... you know, he is a thorough modernist himself. Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel comes along and says, well, actually Kant got it right. The, the foundation is cracked, but we can repair it. You know, and this is the dialectic. And we turn from reason to unreason with Hegel. But Hegel is right about the foundation is cracked. I don't, am I answering the question or not? Kind of, yeah. Uh, I'm following so far. Uh, a good somebody who believes in Christianity in this system is imagining that we can get to the very foundation of things and lay that foundation and build from the bottom up. The reality is we don't have access to the, that sort of foundation. We're all born with language and into a you know system so that this is Wittgenstein. That's why Wittgenstein is can be therapeutic. Wait a minute. Can you hold up your hand and say, I doubt this? You, 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 we've been through this. Can I doubt this is my hand? Wittgenstein says you can do that, but you're playing the game already based on a web of understanding, a worldview. So, uh, the, uh, in, in modern apologetics, we're trying to find those foundations that can't be doubted. But, really those foundations are cracked. We don't have access to the things that can't be doubted. There's no such thing. Okay, gotcha. 
As Christians, we acknowledge that we begin with faith. What is my? What is the foundation? Christ is the foundation. How did I get there? Through belief. What I believe, my belief, is the system upon which I build. Now, does that mean I just believe without reason? No, I think that... that the there is a coherence to this that ultimately embraces all things uh, the advantage to this you know in a modernist understanding somebody comes along and pokes a hole in your argument they say whoops I guess I don't believe in God after all I guess I'm an atheist you uh, you know in a, in a real faith uh it's not that I can't, I have no room for doubt. No, I have room for all sorts of doubt. But doubt is not the basis. Of, you know, it's not what I doubt or that's not the way I do things. You know, I would I don't understand everything in the Bible. I don't, I have all sorts of questions. This is this is the I think this is the modern thing. Who's the the guy that's so uh, popular? He's on Oprah now. Uh, did the little new Rob Bell? Bell. You know, this is his. He's a thorough modernist. He's a very interesting modernist, but he's just landed back where the modernists always go. He says, "I got all these questions, and I need answers." Well, maybe you don't have very good questions. Maybe you're asking the wrong questions, and maybe there is no answer to your questions. But are you willing to believe in Christ, even embracing doubt? Ultimately, belief is bigger than doubt. Doubt is not the foundation of belief. Let me do. I'll, let me do this. Last thing I'll do. This is from the Barman Declaration. Karl Barth. In view of the errors of the German Christians of the present. Reich Church government, which are devastating the church, and also therefore breaking up the unity of the German evangelical church, we confess the following evangelical truths. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but my me. John 14.6. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. John 10, 1 to 9. There's the beginning of the Barman Declaration. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>